0: Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host, for Nick's Nerd Well, 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 friends. I am back. It is I, your host, Nick, of Nick's Nerd News. And, as always, I'd like to welcome you all back, if you guys are, are avid listeners. All of my subscribers, all of my fans, all my friends, and whoever else listens. If, if you're new to the show, well, welcome. Welcome in, and, and hope you enjoy it, and hope I don't bore you to death with the sound of my voice week after week after week. Hey, there's a lot of other people that enjoy it, so you probably will too, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. <clears throat> but we're back to our weekly installment of Nick's Nerd News. And, as always, you know, like, subscribe, poke, send, share, uh, alert, push notification, whatever you want to do for me. You know, you can find us on all all the major streaming places, except iHeartRadio for some stupid-ass reason. I don't know what their deal is, man, but... Hey, you can always find us on social media, right? Or our website. Anyway, moving on, let's get down to the business at hand. So let's get right into that video game news, huh? Well, in Exile, the one of the most recently purchased studios over at Microsoft Game Studios or Xbox Game Studios, whatever you want to call it now, uh, they recently launched the game Wasteland Three. Well, uh, per new job listings, they may be working on a new first-person shooter RPG. And I know job listings are nothing to really go off of, but. Uh, Twisted Voxel noticed that they had open engineer lead gameplay engineering positions that said, quote, next generation action role-playing game. Uh, Also, quote, new first-person shooter gameplay features, whatever that might be. Uh, Also looking for a senior gameplay designer. And um, that had, quote, looking for someone, quote, Powerful, tactile, first-person weapons and unique compatibilities that draw the player right into the middle of the action, unquote. And it, it does sound a lot like Cyberpunk or Deus Ex. Uh, those are all available to look online. It'll be interesting to see if that actually comes to fruition. Anyway, so uh, this big thing was floating around last week um, about Microsoft and Duracell apparently having some kind of partnership... And this is why controller uh, Xbox controllers still shipped with a batter two batteries Duracell in particular instead of coming with like a built in battery. And the, someone said there was a deal in place like a forever deal that someone someone at at uh, Duracell said this was the Duracell UK marketing manager Luke Anderson uh, speaking to Stealth Optional. Uh, His quote was, There's always been this partnership with Duracell and Xbox. It's a constant agreement that Duracell and Microsoft have in place for OEM to supply the battery product for the Xbox consoles and also the controller's battery, so that's going to go on for a while. It's been going on for a while, and I think it needs to go for a while. End quote. But a lot of people were like, Oh, so that explains a lot. But at the same time, Microsoft has kind of come out and been like, no, we don't. And a Microsoft spokesperson actually said this. He said, quote, We intentionally offer consumers choice in their battery solutions for our standard Xbox wireless controllers. This includes the use of AA batteries from any brand, the Xbox rechargeable battery, charging solutions from our partners, or a USB-C cable, which can power the controller when plugged into the console or PC. So... Essentially, they just want flexibility. It has nothing to do with any deal with Duracell. And to be honest, I prefer the double A's. Granted, I used the Xbox Play and Charge kit for a very long time. on, And the one for the Xbox One was, was leaps and bounds like a thousand times better than the Play and Charge kit that was available for 360. Like the one for Xbox One still works to this day whereas my 360 ones would die out after like a year or two. The other good thing is, and I only say this, I I don't mind the rechargeable battery that's built into the, the Series 2 controller only because it has a very, very long battery life compared to the battery that's built into DualShock 4s, which is fucking atrocious. Because I will have to charge a DualShock 4 Maybe if I'm doing like an all day play session, I have to charge the DualShock 4 probably once, sometimes twice during that one day session. When it comes to the built in in the series, into the, uh, the, the, what am I saying? The Elite Series 2, that thing lasts for like a, a week, couple weeks, and I'm putting hours on that thing. So I don't know what Microsoft's doing, but their batteries are way better. Yes, I just went on a rant about batteries in a controller. Anyway, how about this, huh? Gotham Knights, right? The new game from WB Games Montreal. They're the ones who made Arkham Origins, the not-that-great version of the Arkham games. You know, the one that wasn't made by Rocksteady. Well, they have come out and said that they are going to totally... Redo the combat in Gotham Knights, uh, as they're going to refocus on co-op. And yes, I know the game was announced as a co-op brawler fighter, whatever you want to call it. But it, like at, at the same time, they they were said there was going to be single player stuff, right? So why 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 refocus on 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 co-op? And I get it because they want to push the co-op factor, but like. Can we just get a single fucking player game where you can switch around with the characters? I don't want to have to be forced to find someone to play with who might possibly be garbage or not have a microphone. Like, not all of my friends are going to buy this game. It better be fucking crossplay. I'll say that shit. They were talking to GamesRadar, and they said, quote, We have entirely redesigned the combat system in order for it to work well in co-op. Of course we're still a brawler, and some of the mechanics won't feel totally alien for people who played and enjoyed the Arkham series, but in many ways very different. The two-player dynamic fits the fantasy and the Gotham City setting. The duo or team-up is such a central feature of the universe that there's a little shorthand for it in the comics, animation, film, and TV versions. Gotham is a city of alleyways and rooftops, so the footprint of gameplay needs, needs to be compatible with that. Since story progression is being shared between all the characters, it also makes sense that you don't have to level them up from scratch every time you want to switch. It also stays very coherent in terms of our narrative. Oh, that's in terms of character development. Uh, They also said, Since the other members of the Batman family are always present in some way in the background, while you're out in the world fighting crime or unraveling the mystery, they don't stay inactive. So it makes sense that they are also progressing and getting stronger. Well, we'll find out when it releases, later this year. I'm still gonna fucking buy it, because Batman, I love Batman. Batman's like my shit. Star Wars is like my number one shit. Halo is my number two shit. And then Batman's like my number three shit, for sure. I was gonna rank my shits. The shits that I'm into, not my actual physical shits, if you know what I mean. But hey, that's uh, up for you to determine. But, what is your opinion of them refocusing on co-op? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you mad? Angry? Elevated? Excited? I'm running out of thesaurus words here. Anyway, that's what's going to happen with Gotham Knights. It releases later this year, like I said. Moving forward. So, Microsoft has announced a new Xbox Series X and S controller already to go along with the black, white, and red controllers. Now... There is a Pulse Red. This controller actually looks really fucking cool, even though it's just solid red on the front and white on the back. I don't need any more controllers, otherwise I might consider getting it. I have a weird obsession with collecting controllers, because they're all different fucking colors, and they're cool, and I'm surprised I never got the custom one, but I'll probably get a custom one this year, now that they're going to switch over to the the Series X ones. I wish, I wish they would do a custom uh, controller for... The um Elite series, because that'd be fucking awesome if they did that. But that's the new Pulse Red controller that will be available next month. Um how's how about some good news, right? Uh fans of the Ghost of Sushima game have gone and raised millions of dollars, right, for the real island of, of Tsushima. So they, they raised around 27 million yen uh over the five mi- so that the, the target on kickstarter was five million yen uh this is per gamatsu so the the island of, of Tsushima was trying to restore a Tori gate on the island uh there was a uh typhoon that had destroyed it last year in September and they had asked to raise money and they're going now to be able to restart repairs in April. So they like I said, they asked for five million yen and they hit twenty-seven million yen. It's a five hundred and forty-two percent increase over the initial goal. The the and it, it just goes on to show how much people care about a game they love and then also like paying it forward and, and helping the island it's based off of. Uh, They also said that a plaque will be put in place or a commemorative stone for anyone who donated over 10,000 yen, which equates to about 95 US dollars. Uh, If you guys don't know Tori Gates, those are the big uh, red gates with the black roof on them Uh, in Japan. They usually mark the entrance to a Shinto temple. Uh, They have a lot of influence in gaming. And this one, uh, Shrine is based on Toyotama. He's a, uh, a different version and it's it's actually a, a region that's in the game. Um, but that is really something nice to hear of, of people paying it forward and gamers caring about the region it's based off of and, and helping them out in a, in a time of need. So it's, it's nice to nice to hear something like that. But hey, how about this? Big news on the Star Wars gaming front. And when I say big news, I mean big fucking news. So, as of yesterday, this was uh, January 12th, Star Wars games are now going to be put under the Lucasfilm Games banner. Uh, per StarWars.com, uh, they quote said, Lucasfilm Games is now the official identity for all gaming titles from Lucasfilm, a name that encompasses the company's rich catalog of video games and and it's Eye Toward the Future. So, uh, they even put out, like, a sizzle reel of games. They even put new and old games in there. Remember, LucasArts is defunct, and EA had been making a lot of Star Wars games. So, they have a new Twitter and Facebook page. Uh, It will, quote, deliver breaking news and more directly to fans. Uh, They didn't make any other new announcements, but it is essentially a new... I don't know if it's a studio, but it's like a... It's almost like a publisher, I guess, you could say, but not long after that, their first announcement technically, and it wasn't even officially from them, but Machine Games, uh, the makers of Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein New Order, and New Colossus, so that the newest the newest Wolfenstein games will be making and partnering with Lucasfilm Games on a standalone Indiana Jones game. Bam <laughs> And it will be executively produced by Todd Howard of, of, you know, standard Bethesda fame, who's done the Fallout series and, uh, of course, the Elder Scrolls series. And and they were, Bethesda made sure to assure fans that Todd Howard working with machine games on the Indiana Jones games will not affect the development of Elder Scrolls 6. Nothing was really teased, no gameplay at least, it was a cinematic trailer, and they released a statement later that said, A new Indiana Jones game with original story is in development from our studio, Machine Games, and will be executive produced by Todd Howard, in collaboration with Lucasfilm Games. It'll be sometime before we have more to reveal, but we're excited to share today's news. Unquote. So, we don't know how many... Are when it will come out. We don't know if it's first person, third person, anything like that. We don't know if it... Hopefully it's not like Uncharted. A lot of people are throwing that around. But, one would argue that this is potentially going to be next-gen only. While, it'll be also very interesting to see if it's an Xbox exclusive, because it is a Bethesda game, and Bethesda, by that point, will be wholly owned by Microsoft. Uh, of course, they did say that a, not, uh, a lot of games would not necessarily be uh, exclusive, I'm sure it will tie in in some way, not not totally, but hopefully tie in to Indiana Jones 5, which is expected to release next year, but it's good to see an Indiana Jones game come back. I was actually w- reading some things, I was watching Podcast Unlocked, and uh, Ryan McCaffrey made a good point that the last true Indiana Jones game that was released was 2003, on the Xbox and that was Indiana Jones and something uh, the Lost Emperor hold on let me let me see 2003 Indiana Jones game and you can get it on your Xbox actually if you go to the store it's a backwards compatible title So Indiana Jones and the Emperor's tomb it was created by core design and the collective who had done a couple different games um, back then but yeah, you can actually get it still. Uh, it was on Xbox, PlayStation 2, Microsoft Windows, and then, of course, like I said, you can actually go and buy it still on the on the Microsoft Store. Uh, digital only, obviously. But... Yeah, that's crazy. That was the last real Indiana Jones game. Oh, you can get it on Steam, too. Hey, look at that. Huh? Let me see. I think there was... I mean, yes, there was the Lego Indiana Jones games, but, like, those are, like, not really, um, you know, games, right? They're not real. I mean, they're real games, but they're not, like, real games. You know what I mean? Okay, I was wrong. There was Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings that released on the PSP and the DS... And then came to PlayStation 2 in 2009. And the Wii. So like... I, come on. I, that's not a... If, if it was on the DS, like, no. I'm sorry. But that's not... I'm talking about real platformer RP... Or like real A level game. And that was 2003. But Machine Games, if anyone knows how to fight Nazis, it's Machine Games. And that's what Indiana Jones does. He fights Nazis. Except, of course, in the last film when he fought the Russians. But, you know. But, that's not the only big thing to talk about. Today, Ubisoft announced that they are working on an open world Star Wars game. Yes, you heard that correctly. Ubisoft. Not EA. Ubisoft. And they're doing it with Massive, the makers behind the Division games. And Yves Guillemot said it is the start of a long-term collaboration with Disney. No details were uh, released. They did say that they had been actively working with Massive and Ubisoft for the last year to get the deal done. Which effectively means that the EA exclusivity deal is kaput. And it will utilize the Snowdrop engine that's used on the Division games. And uh, the director of Division 2 will direct the project as well. No word yet on what timeline it will be, what its focus will be. A lot of speculation right now is that it's going to be on the High Republic, since that whole multimedia project just started. I hope it's not. I, if anything, I hope that it's it's something post Empire or in the sequel trilogy. That is a that is a era that is ripe for exploration that we haven't really seen before. Um, of course, we won't know for a while. Uh, Eves Gamo also said, "Too Wired." that, quote, an original Star Wars adventure that is different from anything that has been done before, unquote. Lucasfilm told Wired that Star Wars games would continue to be treated as canon, um, alongside comics, TV, and books, so that's always good to hear, and that goes along with Lucasfilm Games. So, EA's exclusivity deal that was signed originally in 2013 will not continue. Good, because they barely made, they made four fucking games. Um, Lucasfilm Games then went on to announce that uh, they did say on StarWars.com, quote, and that's going to continue, oh sorry, we're here, we've got a team of people, we're going to make a lot of great games, and here's some new things you weren't expecting from us to do that we're now starting to do. And that's going to continue throughout the next year or so where we're going to continue to announce projects that are more representative of the legacy of the old Lucasfilm games that we're now trying to live up to. So, uh, those will include Star Wars projects from EA, so EA will still be making games. Uh, They said, quote, while we may not have a lot of details to share at the moment, we've got a number of projects underway with the talented teams at EA. Um, And then they also said, we're looking to work with the best-in-class teams that can make great games across all of our IP." We've got a team of professionals here at Lucasfilm Games who can work with the developers, shape the story, shape the creative, shape the games, to make them really resonate with fans and deliver across a breadth of platforms, genres, and experiences, so that all of our fans can enjoy the IPs that they know and love. Well, that's fucking great. I'm stoked on this. I'm so happy that other studios get to play... ...in an IP that I love, right? Because other studios are much more talented than EA. EA has already closed studios that were going to make probably really good Star Wars games. And, And this opens the door for a lot of opportunity, right? Ubisoft is perfect for making open world games. All of their studios are amazing. Machine Games makes really good action games. And I think they will benefit from making Indiana Jones. The only problem is they're used to making first person shooters... Indy needs to probably be a third person game, so I, I don't know how that's gonna go. I, I, I really hope it doesn't go exclusive to Xbox and I I the only reason I say that is because it, it hurts fans. Like the Spidey stuff is is a weird thing with Sony because technically Sony like owns the rights to Spider-Man in, in some ways, but and and then of course, but then you have that really dumb deal with the Avengers thing that pissed a lot of people off. Even like Sony people are like, well, that's fucking stupid. But it, it's just, I Indiana Jones and Star Wars stuff. I it would be really shitty if it was exclusive because you want everyone to enjoy those. And I'm I'm sure this deal was worked on before the Microsoft deal. And I I I have some faith in Phil Spencer that he wouldn't close off a uh, character like this. It's just, games like this should not be exclusive. And yes, I'm going to say some things need to be exclusive because you want to be able to get people to buy your box, right? Your plastic box. But a game like this is not something that you want to to close off to people. And it it's... It, it, uh, like I said, I, I can kind of defend the Spider-Man one because technically Spider-Man... The rights to Spider-Man are all over the fucking place. And that goes back to... You know, back in the '90s, when Marvel sold off the rights to make some money as they were facing liquidation—excuse me, bankruptcy. But hey, I am happy to see a new Indiana Jones game. I am happy to see new Star Wars games from different studios. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to wait several years, but but it's gonna be worth the wait, in my personal opinion. But I'm I'm just I'm happy that we get an o- uh, open world from Ubisoft because they are the the masters at doing that. But uh, Moving on to other things that are amazing and awesome, it Eurogamer has found ver, via a Singapore store listing that the Mass Effect Legendary Edition may be releasing two months from today, or two months from yesterday, on March 12th. If that's true, I'm surprised we haven't seen any real material on it, or any gameplay or anything like that, but probably in the next month or so that will start to ramp up. But I, I definitely want to hop on that train and play those games for like the fifth time. <laughs> um, so this week is CES, and while we're not going to talk too much about it this week, we will talk mostly about it next week. Uh, Otterbox was there and announced a new set of gaming peripherals. Uh, I guess, actually, you know what? This I don't think this was... Yes, this was at CES, just making sure. So, they are going to make a controller shell for Xbox controllers. For both the regular Series X and the Xbox One controller. Has some grip on it. They will, so that way if you drop it or throw it while you're mobile gaming, it it won't break or fall. Uh, They'll also sell a clip to hold your smartphone, which is a new thing that clips onto controllers. A heat dissipating phone case. A controller carrying case. And a spot. Phone screen protector that functions as a privacy shield. I mean, I I don't know why you'd really need that. Who cares if you're gaming? Most people will know what you're doing. Like, a privacy shield while you're gaming is the least necessary thing. Uh, The mobile gaming clip will attach to Xbox controllers. No word yet on on PlayStation controllers. uh, With or without the protective shell. It will collapse to a relatively compact side, they said. And the privacy guard adds protection to your phone screen. From, well, at least it protects from scratches. I mean, but do you really need it for prying eyes? I just—that's dumb. Uh, those will be available for pre-order later this month on the twenty-fifth, and they should begin shipping in mid-February. But that's really cool as more mobile gaming things ramp up, um, as mobile gaming is is growing and growing as even more gamer-focused phones come out. Um, also at CES, play or Sony had a you know, a sizzle reel of, of their new announcements that were coming. And in there was included announcements on some games, so we got release windows for some of their third-party games coming this year. Uh, but we also got an announcement uh, in relation to Project Athia, the new Square Enix exclusive for PlayStation 5, which will be pushed to 2022. And then the new Capcom gave Capcom game Pragmata, will be pushed to 2023, so if you're looking out for that game, unfortunately you're going to have to wait another extra year. Also announced this week at a mini Nintendo Direct, we got news on Super Mario 3D World for Switch, and its new Bowser's Fury Edition, where Bowser turns into like a massive kaiju, but on top of that, we got an announcement for a brand new Switch model, the new Mario Red and Blue version, And it's actually the first Switch to feature an alternate color on the screen piece. So, like, normally the screen piece has always been that, like, dark gray. But this time it is red. It is a red screen module, whatever you want to call it. Uh, The controllers are red and there are some blue highlights. And it's actually a really cool looking Switch. And it's the new uh, uh, Mario Red and Blue version that uh, will come out later this year. Along with the... Super Mario 3D World, and Bowser's Fury expansion. Also announced, um, unfortunately today, Hogwarts Legacy, the uh, third-person RPG Hogwarts game that takes place in the 1800s, has been delayed until 2022, so if you are looking forward to playing that later this year... On next Gen, unfortunately you will have to wait. Uh, they did say the last gen versions will still come out uh, on in 2022, so if you don't upgrade to a new console, uh, granted if you're even able to upgrade a new console before then, uh, that will be uh, delayed until next year. Also, today we got some updates on Cyberpunk 2077, and unfortunately the next gen update for Cyberpunk has been delayed into the second half of this year. Which is unfortunate. Uh, co-founder of CD Projekt Red Marcin Iwinski uh, was on a video today. He apologized essentially about uh, the state of Cyberpunk and what happened. They will give more regular updates along with free content and Next Gen Upgrade, which, like he said, like I said, is now targeting the second half of this year. And granted, they never said when it would come, just that it would be twenty twenty one uh essentially confirmed that it will be later this year and uh, he also said that they developed cyberpunk 2077 with pc first and foremost which obviously makes sense but considering pc is the best place to play it if you don't uh, unless you have it on the next gen consoles but and they're technically playing a backwards compatible version there but uh, again it, it's it's a five-minute video that you guys can watch online. And they talk about everything they bungled and how they're going to fix things. And it just... I, I feel bad for people. I do. I'm loving the game still. And I can't wait to see what they do with the next-gen upgrade. Because it will probably look even fucking better. Um, they also put out a, a content roadmap for updates and things like that. Uh, there should be two new patches incoming... Uh, More multiple updates and improvements as the year goes on. As well as free DLC uh, that will come out first later this year. But we'll see what happens as the year goes on. And that's what's going on with Cyberpunk 2077. So if you're waiting or if you're playing and want to know what's going on with it. And if they're going to fix things, that's your update. And fundamental bit of gaming news here. Steam has announced that... Oh, you know what? I didn't even talk about EA still going to be promising to make Star Wars games. Anyway, that's not important. (laughs) I'm just looking at at things that I save and to talk about. But, EA has announced... or Steam, sorry, look at that. I get so wrapped up in things. Steam has released its 2020 year in review, and it showed that hours played on Steam went up 50.7%. I'm not surprised. Everyone was home, right? and they also said they acknowledged the pandemic and that there was significant growth before the lockdowns began even they saw it so there was still stuff going up of course it surged even higher when people started playing coming home or working from home cuz you know i'm sure somebody's playing on one monitor while they're working on the other and they said including 120 20 million monthly active players 62.6 million daily active players a 24.8 million peak concurrent players, 2.6 million new purchasers per month, 21.4% more games purchased compared to the year before, and the 50% increase in hours played. That's huge, dude. March saw the biggest increase at 30 to 40%. Uh, Cyberpunk also added to that stress. And it, it uh, they peaked at a f- level of 52 terabytes per second for download traffic. That's fucking nuts, dude. So, wow. 25.2 exabytes of data being downloaded from Steam in 2020 alone. Uh, for reference, guys, an exabyte is 1 million fucking terabytes, right? That's fucking huge. On top of that, Steam also said that they were approached by countries, government bodies... And internet companies to see how they could help mitigate the rise in global traffic, which is insane. They also said that uh, they saw 104 million Steam VR sessions, 1.7 million first-time Steam VR users, 71% more VR revenue, and a 30% increase in VR playtime. That's that's cool. That's all really cool, if you ask me. Uh, Controller usage went up, and Sales went up, everything. So Steam had a killer year. And uh, for next year, or this year, they announced Steam China improvements, login improvements, uh, revamp to the Steam Points program, and improvements to Linux and Steam Labs and more. And you guys can check all that out on their year-in-review, which is available uh, via Steam. But that's it for gaming. very interesting things indeed going on in the gaming world. But let's talk about what is going on in TV land, huh? What's going on in the TV world? Streaming world is probably going to be in a, a few years. But, uh, Quibi, which had a very, very rough death, all of its programming will be moving to Roku. Yes, Roku has acquired Quibi and its library of 75 shows on more... Uh, for free, essentially. So, you guys will be able to watch it for free. Uh, per The Hollywood Reporter, Roku has bought exclusive global, global distribution rights to the more than 75 short-form shows. Um, it's going to be on the free-to-stream ad-supported Roku channel. And uh, no financial deals have been discovered disclosed. So, it's free to watch. They didn't get it for free. And some sources have said it's, it's less than... <laughs> Hundred million dollars. Oh my fucking God. And uh, the Roku blog says quote, Quick Bites and Big Stories made famous on Queebee will be available to stream on the Roku channel later this year, giving audiences access to hundreds of hours of new content, unquote. And that will include The Survive Show, Chrissy Teigen's courtroom comedy, Chrissy's Court, hopefully that includes Reno 911, and Uh, Roku also acquired the rights to, quote, more than a dozen shows that never aired on the the platform that were supposed to. Uh, There was the Spielbergs After Dark that never came, uh, a docuseries from the Russo Brothers, all that stuff. And it's all going to be on the Roku channel on Roku streaming devices. I don't know if you'll be able to access that um, outside of a Roku. That'll be interesting. Hey, Roku's got their own stuff now, huh? How about that? Everybody's got their own stuff. But, hey, let's talk about another streaming service, huh? How about Disney+, Plus, right? So, uh, per deadline, Loki Season 2 may already be in development before Season 1 even airs. Uh, We also got the announcement that WandaVision will premiere with two episodes on Friday. uh, In two days' time is when it premieres. Uh, So look out for that. And then Kevin Feige decided to drop some knowledge bombs on all of us. Uh, Plus, there's some movie news from him as well. But uh, he confirmed that She-Hulk will consist of 10 30-minute episodes. And that each of their shows, uh, the Marvel shows, are looking to be about 6 hours worth of content each. So 10 half-hour episodes, 6-hour episodes, like 7 or 8 45-minute episodes, all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm stoked on that, uh, even though we're only getting like eight WandaVision episodes or six or something. I, it's low, if I remember correctly. Same with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Hopefully we don't have to wait too long for it either. Uh, Kevin Feige also confirmed that the Secret Invasion show uh, will not have as big of a cast as you'd expect. Because in the comics it was this giant, huge, overarching thing with like more people than Endgame. Uh, but he did say that the show will be more intimate, and it will focus on Nick Fury and Talos, the the scroll played by Ben Mendelsohn, and it will be a cosmic investigation level story. So it's it's going to be a little bit more, uh, more intimate, which I'm okay with. I mean, the Secret Invasion story seemed like a huge thing uh, based on the comics and all that. So it's it's nice to have something smaller and a little more hyper focused. Than, than trying to do the comics like super justice. But hey I'm I'm okay with all that. So I can't wait to see how that that show plans turns out. But moving on from from Disney plus, Amazon has given us more plot details in relation to their Lord of the Rings show. And they have announced uh, so this is the official synopsis. Uh, this was obtained by the runk onering.net. And it says, quote, Amazon Studios' forthcoming series brings to screens for the very first time the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age of Middle-earth's history. This epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and will take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged. Kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin. Unlikely heroes were tested, hope hung by the finest of threads, and the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen threatened to cover all the world in darkness. Beginning in a time of relative peace, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth. From the darkest depths of the misty mountains, to the majestic forests of the elf capital of Linden, to the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor, to the forest reaches of the map, furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will, will carve out legacies that live on long after they're gone, unquote. So, we're confirming that it will be the, the second age, so we can either get Morgoth or something with Sauron. We already know that Galadriel will be in it. I don't remember if they said if, um, if, uh, uh oh shit, what's his fucking name? Um, well, god, I don't, uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway. Galadriel's son or whatever his fucking name is. He's the father of uh, Arwen. I don't know, fucking know. I can't think of his goddamn name. Anyway, sounds like a good show. Amazon's going to throw a lot of money behind it. So we know it's going to be halfway decent, right? I mean, they can't really fuck up the movies. Because they're telling something that happened thousands of years before. So you just got to worry about all the crazy Tolkien fans. That might hate you if you do something minuscule wrong. But. We'll see how that goes, right? We'll see how that goes. Sticking with streaming here for a while. It has been announced. No surprise here. The Office was the most streamed show in 2020. This is per the Nielsen SVOD content rating service. So that's video on demand, I guess. It was streamed in the US in 2020 over 57 billion minutes watched. What the fuck, people? There's better fucking shows than The Office. Fifty-seven billion fucking minutes. Oh, Jesus Christ! And that's per variety. This is all per variety. Grey's Anatomy was number two, and then Criminal Minds. What the fuck are all of you guys smoking? That those are the top three watch shows. That that's the only. Alright, so they also said that the Top 10 Acquired Series streamed... Disney's The Mandalorian was the only non-Netflix show to make it into the Top 10 Original Series streamed. Uh, Original Series, Ozark led the lead on that one. Followed by Lucifer and the Crown. Hey, love for Lucifer, I dig it. Disney claimed 7 of the Top 10. With Frozen 2 taking place... Oh, for movies. Frozen 2, Moana... Uh, the Secret Life of Pets is, is third. These are all estimates, of course. This isn't isn't true. So, top tw- streaming content of 2020 Acquired series. The Office, 57 billion minutes. Grey's Anatomy, 39.4. This is all on Netflix. Criminal Minds, 35.4 billion. NCIS, Schitt's Creek, Supernatural, Shameless. New Girl, The Blacklist, and The Vampire Diaries. The fuck are these people watching? Top streaming content of 2020 original series, Ozark, Lucifer, The Crown, Tiger King, The Mandalorian, The Umbrella Academy, The Great British Baking Show, Boss Baby, Longmire, and You. Hey, love for The Umbrella Academy, I dig that too. Top movies, Frozen 2, Moana, The Secret Life of Pets 2, Onward, Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, Hamilton, Spencer Confidential, Aladdin, 2019 version, Toy Story 4, and Zootopia. Wow. Wow. Wow, people are boring. People are very, very boring. So boring and predictable. Come on, people. Don't be boring and predictable. The Office? The Office? Come on. There's ah, there's so much better shows. Granted, I'm sure everyone was trying to watch it before it heads over to, to Peacock. But uh, sad news for any fans of the Arrowverse: CW has decided to pass on the Green Arrow and the Canaries spin-off show, which I'm not really surprised by. Because, yes, the main star and I can't think of her name right now who played Oliver's daughter Mia was a very likable person, and she played the character well, and I could definitely get behind a show with her. She wouldn't be able to carry it next to Julia Harkavy, who played uh, Dinah. And, unfortunately, um, Katie... I can't think of her last name. She plays Laurel. They just... They were bland characters. I'm sorry. They were poorly written. And Laurel turned into a shit character by the end. And Black Canary was just not a compelling character either. And I just... Not great. So it's understandable and unfortunately Arrow won't live on and hopefully they can bring her in on to like Legends of Tomorrow or something like that on down the road to keep keep her character around. Because like I said I, I did like her character more than, than some of the other ones that were going to be on that show. And granted that backdoor pilot they had for it was not good. It was not good. I'm sorry that was not a good episode of the final season of Arrow. So i got to give it a more compelling place, right? More compelling, it will help things a lot. But sticking with DC, uh, the Gotham PD prequel series to the the Matt Reeves' Batman that's coming to HBO Max has found a new showrunner. Uh, it was originally going to be uh, Terrence Winter. He did leave the project over, um, over creative differences, I guess, with Matt Reeves. But they have found a new showrunner in Joe Barton. That's his name. This is Per Variety. And Joe Barton, I guess, has previously worked on a show called Giri Haji for BBC2 and Netflix. He worked on The Ritual and Invasion, a, a, a sci-fi thriller that's starring Riz Ahmed. He's also the showrunner of Netflix's Half Bad. And this will be, a like I said, a prequel series on HBO Max. And it will focus on Gotham PD. It's... No word yet on what else it will be other than it's being a police procedural. So it's going to be like Gotham. That was on Fox. Hopefully it doesn't devolve into shit over time like that show did. The movie is coming, of course, next March. No word yet on when the show will come out. But that is what's going to happen with the Batman spinoff show Gotham PD on HBO Max. How about we switch gears here for a second, huh? How about this? Gary Oak will be returning to the Pokemon anime show for the first time in 10 years. Yeah, you heard me. Gary Oak, returning to face his rival Ash for the... I don't know if they're going to fight or battle. Um, but he was seen in an intro on the most recent episode in Japan on Pokemon Journeys, which is the new season of the show, and... That has made people all abuzz as he has not been on the show since Pokemon Black and White the series in 2010. Wow, that was crazy. That's a long time ago. I had stopped watching by then. I tried watching Journeys. I can't do it, man. I can't fucking do it. Sun and Moon was shit. I hated the animation style. X and Y was great, though. X and Y was way, way better at at Pokemon than it had been in, in quite a long time. But X and Y was was a solid section of the show. Um, here's something that, that is boggling to me. The creator of House of Cards is developing a show based on risk. Can't you just do like a stand... Like, what? How do you do a TV show based on risk? Technically, any, like, thing based on war is an adaptation of fucking risk. Really? Risk? Of all things to adapt. Risk? Risk. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Risk. Dumb as shit. Um, also got an announcement. Uh, Solar Opposites will return on Hulu for Season 2 on March 26th. And then, uh, before we go to our final thing, uh, we got some new casting news for the Umbrella Academy Season 3. So at the end of Season 2, they introduced the Sparrow Academy. As it turns out, Reginald decided to not adopt his Umbrella Academy children after meeting them in the 60s. But... Uh, As we've gotten word, so this is the cast for the Sparrow Academy. Uh, That's what Season 3 will focus on. It will include Justin Cornwell, Brittany Oldford, Jake Epstein, Genesis Rodriguez, and Cassie David, who is actually the daughter of Larry David. we will be appearing as the alternate crew in the next season of the Umbrella Academy. Justin Min is returning as Ben, but a different version of the character. And then also a character named Christopher who is a Cube character, a loyal arrow Oracle of the Sparrows. And uh, they have different pictures of these people up online. Oh, I recognize some of these people. They've been in different shows I've watched. I can't say everything that I've watched with them, but um, I definitely know them from different things, so I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm all in. I love that show. It's such a great fucking show. If you never watched it, you should definitely watch it. It's on Netflix, The Umbrella Academy. Uh, two seasons. That's a comic book show as well. Um, they also give breakdowns of what each character will play. I, I don't need to get into that. If you guys are interested, you can go find that online. But that's what's going on there. And then the final bit of stuff we're going to talk about is the Critics' Choice Super Awards. It's a new award show from Critics' Choice. It was hosted by Kevin Smith, and it's all about like popular fan obsessed genres between comics and or television and movies. And it was on TV this last week, and we have a full list of of winners for the inaugural Critics' Choice Super Awards. Best action movie went to DeFive Bloods on Netflix, Best Actor in an Action Movie to Delroy Lindo. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. From Defy Bloods, Best Actress in an Action Movie, Betty Gilpin in The Hunt. Best Animated Movie, Went to Soul. Voice act- Actor in an Animated Movie, Jamie Foxx. Best Voice Actress, Tina Fey, those are all for Soul. Best Superhero Movie, The Old Guard on Netflix. Best Actor in a Superhero Movie, Ewan McGregor in Birds of Prey. There we go, heck yeah dude. Best Actress in a Superhero Movie, Margot Robbie in Birds of Prey. Best Horror Movie, The Invisible Man. Act, best Actor in a Horror Movie, Vince Vaughn in Freaky. I heard that movie's really good. Is it even out? I thought it just came out. Best Actress in a Horror Movie, Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man. Best Sci-Fi Fantasy Movie, Palm Springs. Heck yeah, dude. That movie was fucking great. Love that movie. Talked about it. You know of my best of for 2020. Best Actor in a Sci-Fi Fantasy Movie, Andy Samberg in Palm Springs. Uh, best Actress in Sci-Fi Fantasy, Kristen Melody in Palm Springs. Best Villain in a Movie, Jim Carrey in Sonic the Hedgehog. Then we got some awesome TV awards as well. So Best Action Series is Vikings. Best Actor in an Action Series, David Diggs in Snowpiercer. Best Actress in an Action Series, Angela Bassett in 911, really. Best Animated Series, Bojack Horseman, That's that's solid. Will Arnett, Best Actor, Voice Actor in an Animated Series for Bojack. Kaylee Cuoco for Holly Quinn for Best Voice Actress. Best Superhero Series, The Boys. Heck yeah, dude. Best Actor in a Superhero Series, Anthony Starr. And then Aya Cash, both from The Boys. The Boys wins big there. Uh, Best Horror Series is Lovecraft Country. Best Actor in a Horror Series, Jensen Ackles for Supernatural. Actress in a Horror Series, Journey Smollett in Lovecraft Country. Best Sci-Fi Fantasy Series, The Mandalorian. Boom, there you go. Uh, best Actor, Patrick Stewart for Picard. Best Actress is Natasha, Demetriou in What We Do in the Shadows. Dude, she's fucking hilarious in that show. And Best Villain in a Series, Anthony Anthony Starr for The Boys. So the Boys, biggest winner of the night there with four awards. How about that? The Boys. If you guys haven't watched The Boys, definitely watch Season 1 on 2 on Amazon right now as well. Come on, if you have Amazon Prime you have Prime Video. Take advantage of what you're paying for, folks. But that is it for TV. I wonder if this Critics' Choice Super Awards will stick around for another year. Uh, moving on to movies. Uh, along with all that Kevin Feige news regarding Marvel Television, uh, we also got confirmation that Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie will be written by Michael Waldron. If you don't recognize the, the name, I wouldn't blame you. Uh, he is the writer and executive producer of the Loki series, actually. Uh, he wrote Doctor Strange Two in the Multiverse of Madness. He also got his start working on Community with Dan Harmon. Uh, he's worked on Rick and Morty, and he also wrote, co-wrote, and executive produced the show Heel, which is the wrestling show on Stars that stars Stephen Amell uh, of Green uh, of Arrow fame. So this dude has serious nerd cred. But a lot of this stuff is comedy, and I don't think we need another comedy-centric Star Wars movie because Solo. Yeah. And if we're going to do Star Wars comedy, I'd rather have Tyka do it, and it might be that way. So, look, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but you got a really high bar to cross there, dude. You got a really high bar. You can't drop it low. Let's see what you do with Loki. Granted, Loki can always be a little more comedic, so we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, and if it ends up being him sticking on as the writer for his for that Star Wars movie. Um, Also, Kevin Feige confirmed that Deadpool will be a, Deadpool 3, I should say, will be a rated R MCU movie. So we get our first confirmation that Deadpool 3 will be in the MCU and it will be rated R. Ryan Reynolds is working on the script. They're not going to film this year, he said, because Ryan Reynolds is a busy guy and a whole lot of that normal stuff. And I'm just happy to see that it's going to be rated R. And that it is MCU, and I'm sure it will tie in with Doctor Strange and with the whole multiverse thing. And we also got confirmation that there are gonna be gonna be a lot of Doctor Strange in Spider-Man. He didn't comment or say anything substantial on the rumors and casting things that are going out around Spider Man three. People asked him about X Men and he was still kind of mum. Just about how talks are ongoing and people will be happy when they finally make the announcements. And I'm just super stoked to have Deadpool as an R-rated movie. I can't wait to see how he breaks the fourth wall in the MCU. That's going to be great. Um, and then, of course, he also made a note that there will be more Avengers movies at some point in the future. But no guarantee as of now. Um, so that's good. I, I'm, uh, that will allow them to play around a little bit more. Maybe... Because uh, remember, we didn't get a, uh, an Avengers movie until Phase 2. And then, of course, in 3... Was uh, everything else. And now we're going to go into phase 4 with no Avengers movie. So let's take a break from that. That's fine with me. Um, Which uh, going on to the Sony Spider-Verse Marvel thing. Whatever they want to fucking call it. Morbius has been delayed until October 8th. It had been originally delayed until March of this year. But now it's being pushed even farther to October. To allow more time obviously for more people to go back into theaters. Uh, Morbius the Living Vampire starring Jared Leto. Uh, will come out in October, but that's it on the Marvel front. Um, we got an interview with Dave Paut- Bautista. I almost said Pautista. Dave Pau. B- I keep saying it. Dave Pau. Dave Bautista has uh, was being interviewed, and someone asked him why he wasn't working with um, James Gunn with uh, the Suicide Squad, and he actually said he skipped out on that to make Army of the Dead with Zack Snyder because he actually wanted to work with Zack Snyder. Which I like Bautista, I like Zack Snyder. I can't and I don't like zombie shit, but I can't wait to see this because those two working together, you, you, it it has to be good, right? But that will be on Netflix later this year. Uh, moving on, uh, Warner Brothers has announced that they are working on new uh, deals. Essentially, this is per Bloomberg uh, and other reports. Warner Brothers is working on new types of deals for payments to filmmakers and their crews uh, because of COVID and the switch to HBO Max. Uh, and it will be based on HBO streaming fees and per Bloomberg, quote, guarantee payment regardless of box office sales and to increase the odds of performance based bonuses. Also, quote, anyone entitled to a bonus will receive one bonus. Hat, one at half the box office revenue that would normally be needed to trigger a payout, and if more theaters close down, the threshold will far fall further, a stipulation called the COVID-19 multiplier. It also goes on to say that those who would normally participate in profits from box office receipts will continue to do so, as well as the benefit from on-demand and online sales, unquote. Um, this new. Uh, they also said the new payout structure is, is more to help appease monetary gripes, Especially over certain uh, creators being not too happy with it. And uh, the, the the thing that is at the heart of the negotiations, this is for The Hollywood Reporter, is Godzilla versus Kong. Mainly it, it, it goes back to Godzilla versus Kong because also according to Forbes, they blocked a deal that Legendary was trying to do with Netflix for $225 million, uh, to to stream the movie there. But lot of craziness going on with Warner Brothers and their movies going straight to HBO Max and the craziness that's going on in the world still. But uh, it's nice to see that they understand what's going on and are trying to make things right and work things out together. Um, sticking on the WB side, uh, Harry Lennox has confirmed that he has filmed scenes for the Snyder Cut uh, essentially... Um, Revealing himself as Martian Manhunter. He was supposed to, I guess, film stuff originally for Justice League. But other things got in the way. And they they couldn't fit it into BVS. But I'm, I'm happy to finally see Zack's vision play out. And I'm happy he got to film those scenes. And get those put into um, into the Snyder Cut. So I, I can't wait to see how all that plays out. I'm, I'm very excited to see the Martian Manhunter be at his rightful place in the Justice League. Yes, Cyborg... And the Flash and all them deserve to be there. And of course, Cyborg is a more recent addition with the new 52. But the Martian Manhunter has been kind of cut out of things lately and, and he deserves his place still. So I'm happy to finally get to see Martian Manhunter on the big screen. Um, with that, there is a lot of stuff going on uh, with, speaking of Cyborg, with Ray Fisher and WB and DC Films and, well, an, a new wrinkle. Um, uh, after the rap had reported that they were going to write him out and all things like that, he went on to say that, I, I don't know, he did not publicly step down from everything. That's what we reported, that he actually quit and said he would never work with Walter Hamada again. But now, today, uh, he tweeted that, quote, I strongly disagree with their decision, but it is one that is unsurprising. If the end of my time as Cyborg is the cost for helping to bring awareness and accountability to Walter Hamada's actions, I'll pay it gladly, he continued. So it's official that they wrote him out. Um, He did put out a full statement here. I'll read it in full. I have received official confirmation that Warner Brothers Pictures has decided to remove me from the cast of The Flash. I strongly disagree with their decision, but it is one that is unsurprising. Despite the misconception, Cyborg's involvement in The Flash was much larger than a cameo, and while I do mourn the lost opportunity to bring Victor Stone back to the screen, bringing awareness to the actions of Walter Hamada will prove to be a much more important contribution to our world. On December 30th, 2020, I made it clear that I cannot, with a clear conscience, participate in any production associated with the current president of DC Films, Walter Hamada. The reasoning behind that declaration was twofold. 1. Walter's purposeful attempt to undermine the Justice League investigation in order to protect his friend and former co-president, Jeff Johns. 2. Walter's attempt to protect himself by contributing to the public dissemination of lies and misinformation about myself and the Justice League investigation in Warner Brothers Pictures. September 4th statement to the RAP. Bear in mind, Walter Hamada interfering with the Justice League investigation is a completely separate issue than the investigation itself. And while Walter's behavior was not a point of focus for the investigation of the Justice League reshoots, his dangerous and enabling actions during the investigation process must be called to account. On July 7, 2020, during a 57-minute-long phone call with Walter, I made multiple attempts to have him escalate my claims of misconduct against Joss Whedon, Jeff Johns, and John Berg through the proper channels. Rather than escalate the situation when initially asked, Walter disparaged Joss Whedon and John Berg in an attempt to cover for Jeff Johns. When I alerted Walter that Jeff was in fact a major contributor to the issues experienced, including blatant racism, Walter tried, but to no avail, to get me to reveal the names of witnesses and other specifics that could be used to forewarn Jeff of the claims being brought against him. Walter even went so far as to sharply dismiss certain claims of mine as untrue because of his work experience and personal relationship with Jeff. Walter indicated that he was briefed on Joss Whedon's problematic behavior well in advance of my speaking out on July 1, 2020. That briefing likely came from Jeff Johns, with whom Walter served as co-president of DC Films. Regardless of how he was made aware, Walter knew that there was legitimacy to my claims against Joss Whedon, yet he persisted in trying to minimize and dismiss the situation, claiming that it is a producer's job to protect the director and that he was looking to move beyond anything to do with Zack Snyder's Justice League. It wasn't till I argued Walter down that he agreed to escalate my claims as asked, citing it as above his pay grade, knowing that he had overstepped and that I had no intention of backing down. Walter made that matter worse by making a tastelessly self-aware joke about not wanting to put him on Twitter about this. Well, here we are. Despite Walter's best efforts in the Justice League investigation was to expose the racist, coercive, discriminatory, and retaliatory behavior of Jeff Johns, during his tenure with Warner Media Media's affiliates, it has also led me to the more immediate parting of ways between me- Warner Media and Joss Whedon. While it may be legally and financially safer to quietly phase Jeff Johns out or to let Joss Whedon exit on his own accord, I share neither of those responsibilities. My responsibilities are and have been one, to try and protect those that were brave enough to lend their voice to the Justice League investigation. Two, to use what little power I possess to ensure the workplace behavior exhibited during the Justice League reshoots and its investigation never happens again. No one in any profession should have to argue with their employer for their claims of abuse, racism, and discrimination to be taken up the proper chain of command, and no one in any position of leadership should attempt to dissuade those wishing to report such claims from doing so. Walter's actions have transformed this narrative from an investigation of onset misconduct in 2017, to the examination of the present-day cover-up culture of Hollywood. His contribution to Warner Brothers Pictures' September 4th statement to the rap was false, cowardly and reckless. I maintain that Walter Hamada is unfit for a position of leadership, and I am willing, at any point, to submit a polygraph test to support my claims against him. I don't know how many instances of workplace abuse Walter has attempted to cover in the past, but hopefully the Justice League investigation will be the last. And if my end of if the end of my time as cyborg is the cost for helping to bring awareness and get accountability to Walter Hamada's actions, I'll pay it gladly. Onward, gratefully, Ray. You reach a point in life where you simply must take a stand. Mamie Till Mobley. Well, shit. I support Ray Fisher. And, like, that sucks, because I loved Jeff Johns in the past. And it just... When you see shit like this happen on a movie about characters that you love and care about, it just, it it hurts, dude, it really fucking hurts, and I just wish they can figure this shit out, and man, it sucks, dude, it sucks we won't get Cyborg again, because Ray Fisher was a fucking solid Cyborg, like, straight up, but hopefully the the Snyder cut will be released and it will absolve a lot of these things and and I wish Ray Fisher well and I I hope he still has a illustrious career cuz a lot of that stuff could be could be damaging and Hollywood is a cruel unforgiving fucking place and hopefully he doesn't get blacklisted because that that is a real possibility here cuz he deserves better than that and I stand with Ray and shit man it sucks really does. Maybe they can work things out, and maybe he can still be in the Flash movie. Who knows? I hate to end on that dour note, but that is it for Nick's Nerd News this week. As always, I am your host, Nick. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Make sure to check out nicksnerdnews.com, our fun, fancy website. You can listen to the show right in your browser, or you can find links to our Spotify, Google Podcast or Apple Podcast pages. Uh, that way you can like, subscribe, all those things for all those fancy places. Also, while you're there, check out our social media tab where you can see our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds. We post a lot of funny memes, or at least try to. If not, follow us on, on your preferred social media of choice. Again, we are Nick's Nerd News. Uh, Linktree is available on our Twitter and Instagram where you can at least find links to all of our different pages as well. And with that, I wish you guys a happy week. Next week, we will talk about CES. Uh, in two weeks, we'll talk about Hitman 3, because that comes out next Wednesday. So we'll be recording the day it comes out, so we won't really be able to have reactions just yet. And of course, any other news that happens between now and next Wednesday. But I will catch you guys on the flip side.